Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. Hey, Training for Manhood listeners, this is Dan Panetti. This is our final week of election preparation. In many places, early voting begins soon as the November election is on the horizon. I had a great interview with my friend Scott Turner about developing a mind and heart for service, which translated for him into the world of public service and his time serving both in the Texas House of Representatives and then on a special White House commission addressing underdeveloped communities under the leadership of Dr. Ben Carson during the Trump administration. Remember to get your copy of The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. We'll be starting that conversation soon. But prepare yourself to be inspired and challenged by the words of Scott Turner. All right. Welcome back to Training for Manhood. This is Dan Panetti. I've got a good friend, Scott Turner. Um, And Scott, there's there's a lot um, in setting you up um, by by way of uh, introduction, right? You know, your biographical sketch. Mm -hmm. You're a very unique individual. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, and, And we could go back all the way to... Um, you know, working at Spring Creek Barbecue and yeah. being a football player at, what, did you go to JJP? JJP. There you go. Um, and then went on to the University of Illinois. Yes. Right? Uh, right. Went on, played in the NFL for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, kind of a, a change of path, you ended up kind of getting into uh, the political realm. Right. Um, and you've done a number of things. You've run for office. You've served in the Texas legislature. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've gone up to the White House mm-hmm. uh, and served in, in a capacity there uh, under Ben Carson. Yes, um, so you're you're a pretty unique guy. <laughs> and it, it's hard to kind of pin you down because um, you've got so many, um, I guess, not only talents um, that God has given you, but mm-hmm. passions right. that you've pursued that are, are that are pretty unique. Some doors that God has opened for you that are right. really amazing. Um, and I thought it'd be really helpful for our guys to hear from you yeah. um, as we're kind of setting the stage for um, politics and voting and getting involved and being just a good citizen of this country. Right. Um, you kind of bring a unique perspective to that of why you got involved uh, in politics. Um, and so kind of give us a little bit of uh, a background in that, like right. um, why once you left the NFL, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different uh, doors and avenues that would be open to you right. and things that you would want to do. Mm-hmm. Why the political realm? What was it that was attractive about that to you? And then, um, as you're thinking about that, a lot of people are like, "Man, that, that's a hard place to go." Yeah. Um, how did you How did you find that to to work out for you? Excellent. Well, first, thank you, Dan, uh, for your ministry and for how you served the men of this generation and the next. And I thank God for you. Well, thank you. Uh, and you know, God has been so gracious. Uh, and taking a kid from Richardson, Texas, a dishwasher from Spring Creek Barbecue. <laughs> that's 100% that's accurate. Where, that's where you start. That's, started, <laughs> that's where I started. I, hey, I learned hardship, yeah. you know, in the back of Spring Creek. Uh, but, you know, using the athletic talent that God gave me, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of kids, as you know, uh, that have athletic ability. Mm-hmm. And to play in the National Football League, you know, it's 1% of those kids. Yeah. You know, a lot of kids have a dream to play. And, you know, God opened up the door for me to play and give me an opportunity to steward 
over that athletic ability, yeah. you know, for nine years. Um, but during that time, I received some advice. My second day of training camp at the Redskins. Okay. Uh, Daryl Green, who was a player yeah. at the Redskins, he all, pulled me all, aside. Hey, all of us remember Daryl Green. Yes. Especially those of us who are Cowboy fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were not big fans of right. Daryl Green. So are you going to say something positive about him? I am. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll take it We'll take it with a grain of salt. Yes. Right. And so he pulled me aside the second day of training camp, mm-hmm. literally. And he said, I want to give you some advice. And he said, I see the hand of the Lord on your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're a believer. Uh, you have a, a great personality. And I can see you have a heart for God. Mm-hmm. And he says, this NFL stands for not for long. Mm. And he says, two pieces of advice are this. Number one, create relationships outside of the locker room. Amen. And number two, uh, ask God what else you're passionate about. Oh. And ask him to give you opportunities to pursue that outside of football. Love it. And so I took that to heart. And so we began uh, to develop relationships in the church, first and foremost, Grace Covenant Church in Virginia. And then uh, in the business community and then civically, you know, with schools and corporations and how we could serve them, how I could serve them as a professional athlete. And so I'm 23 at the time, a rookie at the at the Redskins. And that began to evolve those two um, things, relationships outside of the locker room mm-hmm. and asking God, what else do I like? What else am I passionate about? I love to speak. I love to encourage people. Mm. And so in the offseason, I would speak. Uh, I would uh, go to churches and FCA and schools and share, read to kids, speak to kids. And that kind of grew into corporations, hospitals, universities, sports entities, you know, through my career. And so I took that and through that, I learned that I had a heart to serve. Mm. And so fast forward, my sixth or seventh year in the NFL, I was playing for the Denver Broncos and the player development gentleman came through the locker room and handed every player or put in the locker of every player upcoming internships for the off season. Mm-hmm. And on that sheet, it had, you know, financial services, refereeing, real estate. Uh, and then at the very bottom, it said U S Congress. And it's almost like the words just jumped off the page to was. me. Yeah. And so I ran to him. I said, I want to do this. And I thought back to my rookie year in the NFL when I would ride from uh, from Herndon, Virginia, down to downtown Washington, D.C., with Daryl Green and Tim Johnson, mm. two men of God yeah. on the team. I would ride in the back of that Suburban and just look out the window like a kid at the Pentagon, the White House, the Houses of Congress, the House and the Senate, the Library of Congress, Supreme Court. And I think it was then that God just dropped something in my heart. Yeah. And so now here we are, 2003, and I said, I want to do this internship. And I ended up interning with Duncan Hunter, who was a senior congressman from San Diego. My home was in San Diego. And he was the chairman of the Armed Services Committee. And so through that, I interned with him both in D.C. and San Diego. And he took me all around the country with him so I could speak to the troops because we were at the height of the Fallujah War. And so I would speak to the troops as they came off the plane from Iraq on the tarmac and then those that were leaving. I did that about four military installations. And I learned what it meant to be a true statesman. Mm. And from there, uh, I knew that one day, you know, that God may call me to that. Or I sensed it in my heart. And so when I retired, uh, it was time. And so that's kind of the context and the background, how that started. Right. 
And what really drove me was uh, to be a leader, a servant leader, and exemplify godly humility in the platform that God gave me. I love it. I love it. I think the the interesting thing for a young guy who's listening, and he might be thinking, um, you know, one, maybe God's calling me uh, into something, into uh, um, an opportunity uh, to serve my community. Um, you ran for office, right? And you have you, you've actually served, but there's a lot of other things for people to do right. uh, to get plugged in to yeah. serve their community. You don't just have to put your name on the ballot, right? Um, but there's a lot of different places to get plugged in. Um, what, what what would you suggest to a young guy? Mm-hmm. If he wanted to look for an opportunity to kind of, to kind of serve his community, um, other than just hey, I'm going to vote, um, right? But are there are there other opportunities that you could, mm-hmm. you know, kind of recommend or suggest to them to, to be looking for? Absolutely. And the reason why I brought up those two pieces of advice that Daryl Green gave me, the other thing that he told me, he said, "I want you to meet Tim Johnson." Tim Johnson was a pastor in the making, but mm-hmm. he was also a professional football player. Mm-hmm. I lived with Tim Johnson my rookie year in the basement of his home in Ashburn, Virginia. He had three small kids and a wife. And he taught me how to serve. He taught me what it meant to um, pick up dishes that were just sitting out, even if it wasn't my turn yeah. or it wasn't my job. Yeah. So something as simple as that taught me that when then when we left the house and we went to church to serve in the church by taking up the offering or by putting out chairs or by breaking down chairs and cleaning up the church. And then that involved to going to the schools and reading to the children. And then that involved to going to the nursing home and serving senior adults. And I say that because as you develop relationships, the Lord will open up doors for you to serve. Here's the keto. Number one, you have to ask God to show you how you can serve. Mm-hmm. And then number two, you have to obey when those doors open up. Yeah. And so the thing that I do love, and, you know, my wife, Robin, and I, we have a nonprofit serving kids that live in under-resourced communities. Mm-hmm. Because, as I said in the beginning, at the very core of who God has made me is service to mankind, service to people. And so I would say to young men, number one, pray about those opportunities. Number two, create relationships in the community. And those times of service will come. Those opportunities to serve will come. I love the next generation as you do, Mm -hmm. you know, and so pouring ourselves into young people uh, by way of reading to young people, by way of serving them, by way of providing for those that are in need. You don't have to have a lot to provide for those that are in need. A little bit goes a long way. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up, I'll jump on this real quick, Mm -hmm. the the reading to young people. And I'll throw this because this is primarily a podcast for young men. a report came out about COVID uh, and the educational deficiency that happened to so many, especially those in the public school system, Mm -hmm. especially those in in our hardest hit areas, right? Our lower income, urban and rural, those urban and rural areas, right? That those young people Mm -hmm. um, didn't have access, you know, to Wi-Fi, couldn't get online, couldn't keep up with their home. I mean, they missed a year and a half, two years worth of school. And here's the interesting thing. If you're thinking about, well, what can I do? What can I want to make a difference? Mm -hmm. The idea that you just said of of going into a school and reading, Mm -hmm. you're thinking, what that might, that's not a big deal. And it's like, actually, it is. It's huge. It's huge. And especially if you're a man that does it. Right. Because 
most of the teachers that they're going to have are going to be female. Right. And so they see women in that particular capacity, mm-hmm. um, but they see very few men mm-hmm. in the capacity of actually serving and reading. Right. And if young people could see, especially for those young boys, a guy who walks in there and is giving up a half hour of his time to come in and read yes. and say, hey, this is important to me and I want to show you what it looks like. Yes. That could be revolutionary for that young boy sitting there saying, oh, Look at that. I agree. Right? Th- those those heroes of our day, mm-hmm. right, aren't, you know, riding, you know, horses and, and you know, uh, out there, you know, like the Lone Ranger and we're watching movies on them. It's just a, a guy who's saying, hey, I'm going to take a half hour out of my day to go to my local public school, yeah. um, my local school district or whatever and say, hey, how can I serve? Where can I read? How can I get plugged in? And right. I think that's a huge thing that you're saying is if you've got that heart and you've developed it. Now, I think the you, you underplay the development of service in your life. Mm-hmm. As if it just happens. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is it doesn't. No, you have to nurture it. <laughs> you have to nurture it. Yes. Right? You've seen it. You've been trained. You've watched other men do it. You've picked up on that's important. Mm-hmm. And then you've implemented it in your own life. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just that idea of, you know, when you start washing dishes at Spring Creek Barbecue yeah. and you learn, hey, there's there's nothing beneath me that I can't do. That's right. Um, I need to do whatever I see as an opportunity to do. If that needs to be picked up, I pick it up. We talked about just socks. That was my very first training yeah, for manhood. That's right. Where you walk through the room and if there's a sock on the ground. Pick it up. Right. Instead of asking whose is it. That's it. It doesn't matter. That's it. Right. My job is just to pick it up. Yep. Um, and so just that idea for men, um, the idea of serving mm-hmm. in our community um, there is such a great need and opportunity, and it, it may seem like these are small things, but they're not small things to the people whose lives that you're impacting. That's right. And I think that's that's such that's an important right. important concept. So mm-hmm. um, you got to go serve in the White House yeah. un- under Ben Carson. Tell us a little bit about that mm-hmm. experience and what you learned through that process. Okay. So, uh, and thank you for that example that you just gave about picking up the sock. Uh, that's life-changing. It is. Because I think service starts in our home. It does. Mm-hmm. So in April of 2019, uh, I served under Dr. Ben Carson mm-hmm. by a personal um, presidential appointment from President Trump. My job was to lead the White House Opportunity and Revitalization Council. Mm. This council was created by the president as a result of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which created Opportunity Zones. Opportunity Zones are neighborhoods, census tracts around America that have a high poverty rate that have a low median income rate and oftentimes high crime, you know, school districts that are underserving. Sure. And so there's 8,764 oh, of wow. these. Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson, who was the secretary of HUD at that time, served as the chairman of this council because it was ran out of HUD by way of the White House. Mm-hmm. And my job was the executive director to lead 15 domestic agencies and the secretaries of those agencies and their staff. So you're talking about HUD, uh, Department of um, Labor, uh, Department of Commerce, Small Business Administration, Department of Education, uh, and so on and so forth. And to go into these opportunity zones around the country, and Dan, I went to 80 cities in our country in 11 months. Wow. (laughs) And I would convene stakeholders. Stakeholders, very simply, are elected officials, business leaders, Mm -hmm. faith leaders, Mm -hmm. education leaders and community leaders all at the table at the same time to have the hard conversation. Why is this community blighted? Why is there such decay? Mm. Why is the population leaving? Why hasn't investment came to this area? And so I would go to rural areas, urban areas, 
uh, from tip to tip in this country. Mm. And I saw poverty in ways that I have never seen it. But I also saw a lot of potential because of the people of America. Right. And so my job was to be the ambassador for this initiative and bring public and private partnerships together uh, to create new jobs, new businesses, and create new housing for people inside of these Opportunity Zones. Man, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I remember we uh, we um, did a partnership with um, Bridge Builders here in Dallas, um, fantastic organization, um, and uh, um, they brought in um, a gentleman that had lived in poverty for so many years, and I had him speak to our students at the school. Um, and our school is a you know, private school, a lot of you know, um, wealthy families that can mm-hmm. afford to go here, not everybody, but mm-hmm. uh, generally speaking, mm-hmm. right? You know, we live in, in a well-to-do area, um, and it was fascinating because they'd really never met anybody who came from um, a, you know, underprivileged background. Um, and it was interesting what he said. He said, uh, just think about the world from my perspective. He goes, when you're poor, you can't ever avoid the wealthy world. It's always before you. You always see it, right? You turn on the media, right? I mean, there it is. You, you go places, there it is. He goes, but if you're wealthy, you can avoid the, avoid the poor world. Wow. You never have to come down to South Dallas and Ooh. see what it, what happens. Yeah. And he said, I'm just, he, he said this to our kids, he goes, I'm just so thankful mm-hmm. that you guys are paying attention. That's awesome. Right? And even if you're being made to, <laughs> the kids are like, we're not paying attention because we want to. We're, we're being made to. Right. But it's just like, nobody pays attention because right. they don't have to. That's right. And I think that's an important aspect. If you're a young man and you're thinking about, you just mentioned and rattled off a number of different um, government agencies. And I think it's so easy for us to go, oh, when I see something in my community that needs to be done, I, I say that's the government's job to do it. No. But you did a partnership of right community leaders and faith leaders yes. and the government working together. Right. right. We can't expect the government to remedy all of the problems. Right. We have to work together. That's now, right. I'm, I'm glad when the government comes in and does provide mm-hmm. assistance. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's, it's my community in which I live. Right. And it's my church that we can get involved with. And it's my family and my kids that I'm raising to say, hey, we're going to make a difference in the world. And I think that was just such a neat opportunity Mm -hmm. you had is to combine all of those and to say working together, we can do more Mm -hmm. than if we just rely upon the government to do the work itself. Right. Because the government is just a facilitator. Right. It's private people. You know, the Opportunity Zone initiative wasn't a government program. It was a private sector led initiative. Oh, that's so cool. And the spirit of it was economic development and community impact for long-term sustainability and generational change. Mm. And the only way you do that is through people. The government is just kind of the facilitator of the process. But the reason why this was successful and so fruitful is because people got involved. I love it. And that's why I talked about the public-private partnership. And it truly is a partnership. There was $75 billion of private money that was invested in Opportunity Zone. So good. And that trumped any investment of the quote-unquote government. Yeah. And so people loving people. It's the peer-to-peer model. Yes. You know, yeah. our foundation, you talk about bridge builders, our foundation, the Community Engagement and Opportunity Council, is in Bonton at Turner Court's mm. facility. Yeah. We built an early childhood literacy lab. And you know what? It's 27 miles from here. And it's a whole different world. But when you go inside of the community, you will be surprised at how blessed you are 
not just to be a blessing, but to That's be right. blessed by those that That's live right. there. And so, and it, it's it's amazing if you go down, right? If you hadn't been down there in ten years, mm-hmm. and you go down, it's yeah. amazing to see the economic development, mm-hmm. um, the housing, mm-hmm. um, the security and safety that's been produced. And it's just it's people who just over time, it's not it's not a, you know you don't wait wave a magic wand right. and that's what right. happens tomorrow. Um, but over five years, over 10 years, over 15 years of people continuing to invest in a particular community and that community mm-hmm. rising up to the opportunities that they've been given, mm-hmm. it's amazing to watch. What it happens. is. Hey, you know what, Dan? For this show, uh, I've seen economic poverty, like I said, but there's also great spiritual poverty. Yeah. And I know that might be for another show. No, that's But for good. the men that are listening, yeah. for those of us... Uh, who have the breath of life, we have to be spiritually rich. And there's no excuse. Doesn't matter how much money we have. Doesn't matter where we live or the opportunities that we have. We have to be spiritually rich in the sense of we have to understand and know who God is and who Christ is and have a personal relationship with him. Because what I've found is the stronger we are spiritually, the more of a force we can be in the community and eradicate spiritual poverty and economic poverty because God will begin to speak to his faithful men and how we can serve. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Hey, so coming up to an election, mm-hmm. right? Think think about this for our uh, our men. What are the things that they need to take into consideration mm-hmm. um, when they um, think about politics, mm-hmm. right? Because it, it's not just... Um, you know, a ballot box and an you know, election on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, a, it's a system. It's a principle. It's an ideal. Right. Um, what, what, are, what are things that you would tell young men that you need to really grasp and understand? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think, you know, for me, as, as you go back, um, you know, my, my first thing in just listening to you is that idea that, you know, politics is not the solution, right? You're the solution. Right. Right. <laughs> um, politics is, is, you know, is a, is a f- avenue that you can mm-hmm. use. Um, but so many of our young men, if they've got the heart to serve and they have um, the purpose in life that God's given them, that mm-hmm. they can make a difference in their community. Right. Um, that then when they look at politics, they need to find people and individuals that say, that have that same heart and opportunity That's right. That's right. Um, that aren't looking to provide for people that are looking to work with mm-hmm. um, private enti- entities mm-hmm. and, and individuals, right, to raise people out of, you know, um, situations that mm-hmm. they're in. So I think that, what would you say to a young guy just mm-hmm. in terms of things that he might not be thinking about as he considers the idea of the political realm? Right. Well, I'm and I'm in agreement with you. Uh, one thing, the first thing that I would say is we have to remember uh, the sacrifices that were made prior uh, to give us the opportunity yeah. uh, not only to vote, but to be engaged in the civic process. Love it. Yes. And not to take that for granted. Do not take that lightly. And one thing, <laughs> you know, we can look and say, man, you know, we have so many problems. Mm. And I always very simple. Do you want to be part of the problem or you want to be part of the solution? Yeah. One way we can you're, be... You're one or the other. Right. <laughs> There's on. no middle ground. No middle ground. And one way that we can be part of the solution is by simply voting. Yeah. Now, when we do vote, those whom we vote for must align with the principles that we stand for. Okay. First, as Christians and believers. A lot of times, I think people put their party or their politics before their Christianity. Yeah. That's backwards. Yeah. 
we're Christians first, and then we're, you know, involved politically. And so I would say that's the second thing. Vote for people that um, have your same principles. Mm -hmm. Well, in order for you to do that, you have to be educated on who you're voting about. Don't just vote for somebody because somebody told you to or because they got a lot of TV ads. You know, <laughs> politics is all about money. Hey, you know, okay, so you, you've had your name on a ballot before. Yeah. You know that there's some weird stuff on the whole um, ballot research, right? Like whoever's name comes first yes. gets a bump, yep. right? Just because, you the know. The sound like, of your name. The sound the look of your, your name. name. I know, it, to, to, to me, I'm just like, I, I love the idea that everybody in America gets to vote mm-hmm. until I hear stories like that. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, go, because people are uneducated. Yeah, and, and I, I get that, you know, there were reasons that we kept people from voting mm-hmm. um, that were inappropriate and not, not right. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would love to go back to the day when it's like, okay, do you even know who you're voting for? Right. Right, as you walk into the ballot, if you don't even know and you're just going to vote for the first name on the ballot right. or the one that looks like, or what, I'm just like, what yeah. are you even doing? Yeah, no. That, that, don't, go, don't go vote if that you're going to do the that. Process. Yes. So be educated. Find people who share the principles and the values that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you go vote. And okay. I'll even say yeah. this, right? Make sure you understand what you're voting in, right? Because we're talking about a November election. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a midterm election. The president's not going to be on there. Right. Um, but, you know, we're, we're voting for the entire House of Representatives. We're voting Statewide. for a third of the Senate. We're voting for the state. Yes. We're voting for some, you know, um, some other things. I mean, so there, there's a lot of things that are happening in here. Mm-hmm. This isn't the primary, though, because we've talked about that before. Primary right. is when you're going to vote in, in March and you're going to be able to put people into uh, positions where they get to vote in November. I mean, mm-hmm. so just the whole process, you need mm-hmm. to understand what's going on. Find some people who really um, you can trust and you can listen to and watch and pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. But you're right. If you're just voting for the you know person who has the most signs that you've seen on the way yeah, to no. the ballot box, mm-hmm. that's not a good reason to vote. And it's part of our leadership as men. Yeah. We've got to lead our house. Yeah. And they may say, well, I'm not married. Well, start right now yeah. and leading yourself. Because when you get a wife and children, you have to be the leader of your house right. in this aspect. Yep. And that your family is educated. It takes time, but it's worth it. You're talking about the country. We have one country. We have one life. This yep. is the greatest country on earth. But we also need to pray that God keep his hand on our country. Yes. And I believe us as men of God that we're going to be the ones that help God to stay his hand. Yeah. You know, and his grace. Yeah. And so be educated. And number two, uh, make it a priority. You know, there are certain days that you can go vote, just like we put everything else on our calendar. That's right. Put that on the calendar. Right. I need to go vote. Myself and my family yeah. are going to vote on yeah. this day. Yeah. I, I, I have, I've talked to people that just, you know, oh, I didn't make it to the ballot box. And it's like, I mean, in Texas, we have two weeks of early voting. Yeah. You, you can't make it, you know, for early voting. You can't make it the day of. It's just like, yeah. you know, if I gave you tickets to the Cowboy game, you'd make You'll it You'll be that. there. Yeah. Early. <laughs> Come on. Right. You, you can go vote for that's your country. That's it. So that's good. Scott, I appreciate... Um, not only your service, mm-hmm. um, but your leadership and your heart for mm-hmm. um, our country and your heart for men yes, um, in calling them up to the standard of being leaders for our country. And mm-hmm. I think that's such an important role and responsibility. And I, I think it's it's something that far too many men have pushed off on the responsibility to others, mm-hmm. feeling like they're not in a position of leadership. But the reality is, is you're leading somebody yes. um, and others are following you. And it doesn't have to be a large group of people right. for you to still take the responsibility to do the right thing. That's right. So su- super important and I uh, appreciate your time. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. 
That's training4manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man. <laughs>